The United States Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov careers usbp. You may think your credit score isn't a big deal, but when your credit score increases, your opportunities do too, like loan approvals and lower interest rates. Chime makes it easier to build credit with a secured Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card. You can use it everywhere Visa Credit Cards are accepted. Chime helps you build your credit score safely by using your own money to make everyday purchases and on-time payments with a safer credit building feature enabled. To apply, just open a Chime checking account with a $200 qualifying direct deposit. And don't stress, there's no annual fee or credit check required to apply and get started. Build your credit history and find new opportunities with Credit Builder today. Get started at Chime.com build. That's Chime.com build. The Chime Credit Builder Visa Credit Card is issued by Stride Bank N.A., member FDIC. Chime checking account and a 200 qualifying direct deposit required to apply. Out-of-network ATM withdrawal fees may apply. Call 1-844-244-6363 for details. On-time payment history may have a positive impact on your credit score. Late payment may negatively impact your credit score. Results may vary. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Birds. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on tonight's show, we welcome Kobe Mayo, one of the Orioles' top prospects, joins us to talk about his 2022 off 2022 season and his preparation for the 2023 campaign. We'll also recap last week's Rule 5 draft and get into the way things are unfolding this offseason for the Orioles. Um, but first, we have some new members in our Patreon community that we want to shout out, and I'll turn that over to Bob. Yeah, surprising uh, influx of patrons over the past couple of weeks. Uh, we got five of them here. We got Tulsi Condenzio, Andrew Hoare, H-O-A-R-E, however you want to say that, Matt Senzini, Mark Coleman, and Ryan Patton. So thank you guys for signing up. Appreciate your support. Yeah, thank you for the support. And we'll jump into our interview now. Tonight's guest is a prospect in the Orioles system. 
He split the 2022 season between high A Aberdeen and double A Bowie. He is Kobe Mayo. Kobe, you're joining us just days after your 21st birthday. So thank you for taking the time out. Of course. Appreciate you uh, having me on here. And I appreciate the birthday wishes. Absolutely. So, um, just um, as you reflect on this past season, what do you think went well for you? What do you think didn't go well? And where do you want to try to get better next season? Yeah, I think I think this season as a whole was a success. Um, going into the year, I knew I knew I was probably going to be starting in Aberdeen, um, and I knew that I wanted to be up in Bowie at around the time I did, and you know I was happy with with that. Um, the Aberdeen year went really well. Um, I thought I adjusted well to the, to the level. Um, I think there was ups and downs there, but I think, um, you know, after spending, you know, not, a, I wouldn't say a lot of time because with the Orioles, it's not a lot of time there, but other places it's a lot of, or the other way around, but you know what I mean? Um, you know, it was just, it's good to be there. And after, you know, those, those first few months, um, I think June was a good month for me. Um, kind of, got me ready. And I think everyone kind of knew I was ready for that next level. Um, I, you know, seeing the ball better at the end of those months, um, recognizing pitching better and uh, just felt better as a whole. And then, you know, some struggles throughout the season, you know, you're going to, you're going you're gonna to be exposed after that first year in Delmarva. Like they know, they know you hit well, they knew what you struggled with. Um, and I did pretty well in Delmarva. Uh, but, you know, they're going to expose you to everything, especially, you know, guys who are 6'5", 225 pounds, they're going to, you know, they're, they're not going to throw them fastballs down the middle um, that often. And when they do, you have to, you know, take advantage of it. But, yeah, I think just some of the struggles with, with a little bit of chasing here and there, um, of course, like sliders, one of the toughest pitches to hit in baseball. And, you know, when guys are throwing upper 90s with, you know, two, three good pitches uh, to go along with it, you know, it, it could it could lead to struggles. And I think that's a part of baseball. And I wouldn't say there was even like a lot of struggles of the year. I think it's just kind of, it's just kind of baseball. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's hard. And, um, you know, I was happy and grateful for the season that I had. I want to take that last little bit there, clip it and just put it out there on social media. Like every other day, I feel like more people need to, a good reminder of that, but um, like the more average fan would probably just look at your, the, basic baseball card numbers right the basic stat line for last year maybe we're maybe a little bit disappointed uh but considering the expect uh, more spo- specifically because of the expectations coming off this big you know 2021 season start your career but we've mentioned a lot on this show before that and can you explain more about why the metrics tell a different story and when you combine that with the park factors in aberdeen your 2022 suddenly looks really underrated right um yeah, the the analytics that go along with um, our real stats that you know everyone sees in the public to what you know the stats really should say. Um, you know, it's baseball. You're gonna you're gonna hit into hard outs. You're gonna you know strike out on bad pitches. Um, you know, you're gonna get some base hits that are you know not hit very hard. But for me, it was kind of an unfortunate ride in in Aberdeen. Um, a lot of lineouts. You know, the park didn't play well to hitters at all. Um, you'd hit balls 107 uh, out to left center, and you thought it was a home run, and it kind of just got stuck up in in whatever was in Aberdeen. Um, and, you know, a lot of lineouts, a lot of balls hit hard. Um, you know, same goes for Connor Norby. Like, 
we were we were grinding through those months because kind of felt like at times none of us, none, nothing would fall. And I think um, I was being told that a little bit, like, "Hey, your stats, your stats say this, but I mean, your your these numbers are seventy five points to a hundred points higher um, on your OPS and on your average." So it was kind of good to hear that in a way, and especially like a lot of other things that go into it, like hard hit percentage, um, the barrels, just kind of everything that goes along with um, average and OPS and all that stuff. Um, and I was doing very well with the the barrels and you know up up in the leaderboard of the barrels and the hard hit percentage and just kind of everything. So it you want to look at that average and kind of want to. Um, People don't like to look at average nowadays, but it's kind of like for players, you, you want it to be high. No one wants it to be low. So, um, but stats do lie at times and, um, you know, you can run into some unf unfortunate luck. Yeah. And it's funny that anyone would be disappointed anyway, since you were 18% better than league average as a 20 year old when it's like mostly guys starting their first full season out of college ball. But, uh, yeah. Um, Going back to when you were drafted in 2020, could you give us some insight into the decision the decision process and what it was like for you and your family as you decided whether you're going to go pro and join the Orioles or go through with your commitment to University of Florida? Right. Um, yeah, it was a really crazy time. I don't I don't think for me it was normal. I never went through a draft process that didn't look like that before. Um, so it, it was definitely weird having my senior year cut off especially after, you know, playing eight high school games and having, um, you know, a hundred scouts there pretty much every game. Uh, so it was, it was definitely weird being cut off from, from season and just kind of sitting at home, having these zoom calls with, with teams and not really knowing what, what was going to happen because, you know, you finish out your, your, your senior year as a normal year and it kind of leads you up right into the draft, but you know, not, not during 2020, I kind of just, we sat home and, had these calls and just waited for um, kind of just waited for the draft. And I didn't know what to expect. I knew it was going to be tough for high schoolers to get picked out of that draft because I mean, it was only five rounds and I knew like only the top, top of the high school guys were going to go. And I felt like I, I would go. Um, I think that 2020 season being cut off kind of hurt me a little bit. Uh, but I mean, I knew the Orioles were one of the top teams looking at me. I knew they had, probably the biggest pool of money to go going around. So I knew, you know, they were high on me before the draft. We had a lot of, you know, talks, um, you know, I didn't know what team it was going to be. And then, you know, it ended up being the Orioles and, um, you know, just with everything going into it with what they offered and what, how I could move up so quick in the system and, being 18 years old going into my first professional season um well 19 because of covid but it was kind of an easy decision once all those numbers and all the you know we all what we thought about it it all fell into place and it was a very very easy decision yeah and you know this rebuild has really come along pretty fast just two and a half years ago you know you didn't have it as cemented as this is one of the best farm systems in baseball now for like two years so it's still a little bit new to everybody. So what was what really stood out to you about the Orioles that, you know, that they were offering? Were they talking up their analytics? It was was it what you said with like getting able to move up the system pretty quickly? Yeah, I think just getting a chance from any team. It, it, it didn't really 
it didn't matter what team. I think anybody can can develop you into a very good player. And I mean, I didn't know how good the Orioles would be, and not in a bad way, but they, I mean, they did a great job, and they've done a great job with everybody in the system. Um, I always said, like, I'm grateful for the Orioles because I don't know how other teams would have, um, you know, what they would have thrown at me, how much better I would have gotten if I went to college, how much better I would have gotten. Um, but I, I'm, I was grateful for the Orioles going into into instructs and learning a lot and then just them, you know, working with me um, day in and day out during spring training, helping me out. Um, so, yeah. You, um, you know, you, you had your senior season cut off in 2020 by the pandemic, but then in 2021, you also had a knee injury while you were really just starting to get going in professional baseball. Did you ever find yourself pressing too much to make up for lost time or did the organization help prevent you from doing that? Uh, yeah, I think, I think it was good luck. Honestly, I think if we're being real, my first about a spring training, um, first game ever and not a lot of people know like the details around it but you know, my first at bat um second swing of spring training uh ever and you know just something freaky and it, it does seem it like like it was good luck um i think it was meant for me to sit back for a little bit and watch and learn a little bit uh be down in sarasota uh seeing guys coming in rehabbing big leaguers it was it was really cool uh, we had a good we had a lot of good people down there helping me out and uh, I think it was good luck. And, you know, I'm grateful for, for it to be happen, like for that injury to happen just so I can sit back. And um, I think everything happens for a reason. And um, I, I was grateful to go to Delmarva um, at the end of the season and uh, felt confident, went up with all the 2021 guys and it was awesome. That was a lot of fun. <laughs> uh Moving up to the end of 2022 season, you're now in double A. And we often hear that that jump from high to double A is arguably the toughest jump that a lot of guys make in minor league baseball. But what challenges stood out to you the most between those two levels? Yeah, high high was really good. I heard people saying high was very similar to college baseball. You know, the best top juniors in the country every day throwing. Um, I mean, the, the arms we saw day in and day out in Aberdeen were, were really good. The, you know, the blue claws were, you know, every one of their guys were throwing 97 to 100. Uh, you had uh, the Yankees organization, um, everything. Everybody was throwing 25-inch sliders that were unhittable. Um, it was it, that, that high A, um, those high A pitchers were really, really good. Um, Rome was really, really good. A lot, all, all those teams were really good. And then going to double A was, it was tough because, um, those guys were older, right? Those guys are, I went from facing 23, 24 year olds every night to facing 28, 29 year olds. And, um, it was great. Like being exposed a little bit, um, you know, you're never going to walk into a, to a new place and, and crush it right away. I think it takes a little bit of time to, to get your feet planted in, in the ground and, um, you know, you have to just put your head down and work. Um, so the jump was pretty significant. I think every jump is pretty significant. That's why you usually see struggles from, from guys a little bit when you get to a new level. Um, but you know, it's, it's always good moving up and, uh, you're just facing better pitching and, and yeah. 
you know, once you got to Double Billy, you know, we've heard a lot of good stories about Billy hitting coach and former Oriole minor leaguer Brandon Becker. And in this system, the coaching talent is pretty much just as deep as the playing talent. But Becker was playing pro ball with the Orioles as recently as 2019. Mm-hmm. Have you had the opportunity to work with him? And is his recent playing experience something that you and the others in the organization find helpful? Yeah, so Beck Beck was um, actually the hitting coach in, in the FCL when I was there, when I was rehabbing a little bit. Um, so when I was there rehabbing, he was the guy that'd be out there helping me out, um, you know, getting my swing back, uh, the hitting coach. So, and then, uh, yeah, like you said, this year, him, him being in Bowie, it was nice to to go from Zach Cole, which, you know, he was also the hitting coach in FCL, kind of like a the tech, the tech guy too, but he went into the hitting coach as well. So going from Zach Cole to, to Beck was awesome. It was an easy transition. Both of them are really awesome people. They know a lot about hitting um, and just like good guys to be around. So it was, it was fun being around both of those guys. So you did have a little bit of a, a setback somewhat at Bowie with the back injury, but despite that, you still got 100, almost 150 plate appearances, a 130 WRC plus over the last 95 plate appearances. But was that injury scary at first, and what was it like to come back from that? Yeah, um, I mean, I wouldn't say it was very scary. I just think, um, you know, first full season in, in minor league baseball – you know, some things as as a young guy, you you have to fight, you have to work through and um, you kind of have to you got to have a full season to realize what what playing every day is really about. And, um, you know, some habits you really have to stick to um, all season long to just stay healthy because playing every day is, is you know, not easy. Um, but it was it was good to cut the 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 process on the way back was good, too. Um, you know, everything felt good. Uh, there was no setbacks. Uh, so, I mean, it, it was it was good to come back, and I was excited to, to play back with the team because I only really played a few games. Uh, but, you know, I was excited to come back, and uh, those last five, six weeks were, you know, a fun time. I don't know. Playing every day seems pretty easy in Baltimore. I think we watched Cal Ripken play 2,632 games in a row. So Yeah, it's impressive. It's it's not it's not easy to do and it's really it's yeah. really impressive. Yeah. Speaking of impressive, you got a lot of impressive teammates in this organization as well. How impressed are you by your teammates and the level of talent the Orioles have been able to accumulate in really just the past you know, two, two and a half years? Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons why there's so many guys that are getting better because you're surrounded by talent 24-7. Um, you know, the Orioles they force you to challenge yourself as much as you can. So when you're surrounded by guys who are challenging themselves, getting better, you know, everyone around them is trying to get better as well. And I think, I think that talent brings out the best out of everybody. And there are so many big jumps this year guys made during the season um, from last season to this season. And it was cool to see because um, it's, it's easy just to to feel good where you're at and, and not kind of want to get better and, now I feel like you have to get that much better, but in the system, there's always somebody right under you that's, you know, crawling their way up. So you have to, you know, keep your foot on that pedal and keep, keep working hard because there's somebody who's going to take your spot tomorrow. Yeah. That's why you're uh, well, 
I've heard this from sources and it's actually one of our patrons who you might have some familiarity with, but uh, you've been working out with the Yankees, Anthony Rizzo in the past couple off seasons. What can you learn from a veteran major leaguer like that outside of the obvious training techniques? What, what is, what are you picking his brain about? It's good just to be around him. And, you know, it's, he kind of picks my brain a little bit. He wants to get answers out of me. He wants, you you know, he wants me to, to, you know, talk about my season, where where the struggles were, where the success was coming from. And it kind of brings out the the right answers in, in me because he kind of forces those answers out by just talking about the season and, um, like you said, playing every day and um, dealing with, you know, all this, everything surrounding you during the season, just how to handle all those situations. And then obviously just working out with him is awesome and and hitting with him the last two off seasons um has been cool so yeah i mean like you said he's you know possibly a future hall of famer world series champion um one of the greats so you know it's 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 really had been an honor to be with him and even though he's a yankee he does seem like he's a pretty good dude even just yeah. watching him on tv seems like yeah. he's having a good time out there there's no one better to be around honestly like he's the best this is a, a really deep system. You just talked about that level of competition and how it can drive you to be better. And that also comes into play on defense. There is a lot of infielders in this system. Uh, we have seen your arm. We know that it's good enough for third base. So what we want to know from you is, do you absolutely see yourself as a third baseman and you know, sticking there long-term? And as a follow-up to that, we've had Tim DeJohn on this show before. And we're curious what uh, he's like to work with on defense. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I play third. I see myself being a third baseman, you know, down the road. Um, there's a lot of a lot of talent in the system, and um, I, I work really hard during during the season and the off season, uh, getting better in my my game as a whole. So, you know, if if the next ten years is is third base, then great. If it's not third base, then you know, I want to help. My, really help my team win no matter where I'm at. Um, so, I mean, if I get a call up to the big leagues and I'm at third or I'm at first, I'm in the outfield, it, I don't, it doesn't really matter to me. Um, sticking at third would be great because I played it my whole life. But if it's not, like, it's it's 100% fine. Like, I don't – it's it's not a big deal. Um, and then, yeah, Tim, DJ, he's, he's an awesome guy to work with. He's such a player coach. Um, and he's – he's so hardworking and has a love and passion for, for the game as a whole, but especially um, he wants all his guys to get better. Um, I've said this before, but Joey Ortiz is uh, clearly the best infielder we have in the system. And he, he's out there working every day with, with DJ trying to get better. Even, even if he's not working on something new, just every day working, getting better. Um, I mean, that's, you want to make the big leagues. You got to, Put in the work. Doesn't matter if you're the best of the best. Is he helping you improve your shoe game as well? Yeah, my shoe game. Fine. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of the big leagues, though, and uh, Camden Yards, you know, went went under some renovations uh, recently. New wall up there in left field. We always hear like, "All right, is this moving the wall back is going to really help the pitchers. Going to help the pitchers." But what about someone as yourself, this power hitting right-handed hitter? Are you scared of this new wall in Baltimore, or what's what's the mindset uh, approach to that that new wall out there? Um, I mean, the wall is big. I've, I've been there 
few times and it's it's big. And I've seen a lot of guys hit the hit some balls deep out there that should have been homers. But um, no, I mean, I think if you're if you can connect with a ball to left, I mean, it should go either way. Like I I I would say this year I didn't hit many wall scrapers. I mean, there were a few this year that you know didn't I didn't crush, but I'd say most of the balls I I hit out this year left center left field would have been out at most parks um but but yeah i mean i mean the wall is huge it's cool um i don't i don't see it being that big of a problem if anything i think it's going to help guys hit more doubles and triples honestly yeah i went to two ironbirds games while you were in the lineup and i think i saw you hit three balls over the left field shed so yeah i don't <laughs> think it should be much of an issue uh but speaking of home runs you know connor norby your buddy he had quite a few of those this past season, showing off the power. Who's going to hit more home runs next year, you or him? I'm always going to say myself. I mean, <laughs> um, yeah, he had, he had an incredible run. I mean, we were – I had – I think I had 13 when I left Aberdeen. He had eight. And, um, you know, he got to Bowie and worked with Beck really hard and, and kind of wanted a different style of, of hitting his bat path and – really worked hard at it. And I mean, he had an unbelievable run to, to the end of the season. Um, uh, yeah. And, and I think, I think just playing the whole season being healthy uh, is really key. And, and I was on, I was on a good pace, but I think, you know, a little bit with, with the call up and um, those four weeks off and just, you know, the pitching's good. I mean, you have to, um, you know, you got to, <clears throat> You gotta get used to that pitching a little bit more and and figure those guys out because they're really really good. Obviously, a lot of those guys can pitch in the big leagues and Double A and Triple A. So, um, but yeah, he had an he had an outstanding run, and I was really happy for him because I mean we were roommates from Aberdeen all the way to Bowie, so he right. I was really really happy for him. Let me rephrase. This might be make it a little bit closer. Who's gonna hit more home runs to the right side of directly in center field? <laughs> The right side or right of the field, probably. Yeah. Him. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, my, I'm, I'm okay to say that. It's okay to say that. <laughs> and my last question is, I think we heard Gunnar Henderson called his shot coming into this year, where he said, "I'm going to make my major league debut by the end of the season." Are you going to say that for next year? Yeah, I mean that's my goal. I think I think we've been on similar, um, we've been in similar foot footsteps, and um, where kind of we we've, we've ended up. During, at the end of the season, um, I want to follow those footsteps. I mean, why not follow those footsteps of a guy who's, you know, in the big leagues right now at 21 years old? Um, I think it's very doable, and um, I'm putting in a lot of work, and I'm, I'm trying to get to, to the best shape I can and uh, come into the season and, you know, make a make a point for it. All right. We'll certainly be pulling for you. And what kind of work are you putting in this offseason? Uh, where, where do you want to get better next year? Yeah, right now in the weight room, I'm just I'm trying to get strong. You know, build the build the foundation when I'm young, get as strong as I can right now because, you know, in in five, six, seven years, you know, I still want to have that foundation from when I was 21 years old of um, just being strong all around, um, just feeling feeling strong on the field, um, off the field. It's just uh, I think I think if you're if you're strong and your in your muscles or you know if you're healthy, uh, it makes it easier to play a hundred and in 50 games or in the minor league season. So, uh, and then off the, and then on the field, it's just, 
putting in the work with with everything, hitting defense, um, getting a little quicker, just everything. You know, you want to you want to make your game better all the time, even if you know you're the best at what you're doing at that moment. You still want to get better every day. I'm going to end this with a nice, easy, non-baseball, softball-type question. Uh, I know you're a Dolphins fan. Is two of the man to lead the Miami Dolphins back to the Super Bowl? <laughs> uh, yes, I, I do believe. I think it's a combination of everybody. I think I think, I think uh, um, everyone surrounding him has been good, and I think he, he's been really good this year. Um, you know, he's had a lot – last few games have been – you know, a little rough, but I think uh, there's going to be bad games here and there. Um, but I'm I'm confident in the team. <laughs> any any conversion of uh, you know playing in Baltimore, all the Ravens fans. Do you like the Ravens? Are you warming up to them, or is it Dolphins? I don't have a problem with the Ravens. I mean, if if the Dolphins are playing the Ravens, of course I want the Dolphins to win. But um, I don't have a problem with the Ravens. I mean, Lamar Jackson went to middle school with my brother, so. Nice. Yeah, they played football together. I don't. I don't have a problem with Lamar. Hopefully, you know they give him a contract. But <laughs> yeah, and that was. Uh, I'm sure that was a fun game for you when they played each other a couple months ago. Yeah, it was the last game of the season in Akron, and I missed. Uh, I missed everything that happened. I was kind of disappointed. <laughs> well, as a Ravens fan, I can tell you that was not a fun memory. But the the Dolphins earned it that day. So it's been a it's been a it's been a crazy year for the Ravens and Dolphins. So yeah. For sure. Maybe they'll meet again in playoffs. That would be great. <laughs> well, Kobe, thank you so much for joining us tonight, and best of luck with the rest of the offseason and the 2023 season. Appreciate it very much. Thanks for having me get on, guys. Yeah, no thank problem. You. Thanks. That was Kobe Mayo, Orioles prospect. <clears throat> uh, good to hear from him firsthand, a guy that we've really been following closely over the last two years. We know that he's got a lot of talent. We feel like he could probably kick it into another gear in 2023. Yeah, I don't think people like truly understand. I don't know if I truly understand like what a full healthy season, especially playing most of that year in Bowie next season is going to do to those offensive numbers in his game. I, I mean, you just hear more and more reports and it's not just from the Orioles. I mean, it's outside of resources. It's national evaluators themselves saying like the ceiling is extremely high on, on this guy. And I mean, just hearing him talk during that interview, like, I would not think he just turned 21 two days ago. I mean, he's he's very mature. Uh, that's very clear. And I'm excited. I'm beyond excited to see what he can do with a full healthy season next year in 2023. Yeah, I truly believe he's about to put up a monster year. I think it's very underreported that, I mean, he literally just turned 21 like a couple days ago. So, and he's going to, he's already got 150 plate appearances in double A. He's going to go in next year knowing exactly what he's about to face hopefully you know knock on wood completely healthy like nick said and as he said he's getting stronger i didn't know that was possible so definitely not going to be scared of left field once he gets to baltimore but yeah i truly think he could be in triple a by late june and anything can happen from there we saw that last year i mean we kind of touched on it there but he he said what he played eight games his senior year of high school I mean, eight games in what Feb down in Florida, so they probably start high school ball in what like January or something. So you got like eight games early, early on in 2020. Doesn't get to play the rest of the year. He only played in 53 games in rookie ball in Delmarva in 2021. 
and he ended 2022 in Bowie as a 20 year old. Like I, I don't, I, I think that just that speaks for itself. What type of talent he is, and how the Orioles view his talent. Yeah, and I think it's easy to forget that that's not the normal trajectory. Yeah, I, I think that in most organizations, if he was coming off a strong season at low A at 20 years old, everybody would be happy. Um, it, it's not normal to see players ascend like we've seen with Gunnar Henderson, Kobe Mayo, um, you know, even Colton Cowser going three levels last year, ending at AAA and looking like you know he's going to be big league ready fairly, you know, probably sometime in the first half next season. Just is not normal. Yeah, and it's super exciting how the Orioles have instituted this. I feel like it's probably even great for the players knowing, hey, if I put up numbers over the first half of the season, I'm going to get promoted. Like that, I think that, you know, I'm sure it's great going level to level year to year. Like that might might be decent uh, developmentally as well. But just having that carrot on a stick right in front of you. If I perform, I can go up. I can go up twice. You know, anything can happen. And I like that just the way that, you know, they've instituted that. And it's very different from what we're used to as Orioles fans. Yeah. And I, I like Vivek's comment there in the chat. Orioles have been hitting on these high school positional picks. I can't disagree with that at all. I, how many times, I think going into this past draft, we said if the Orioles go high school, those are the kids I'm paying attention to the most because the Orioles have a fantastic track record of these high school guys the last couple of years. Uh, even though it seems like the narrative is like they're going to go college, they're going to go more advanced bat. They know exactly what they're doing with, with these high school picks. And Gunner, Kobe, we'll see how high Jackson Holiday goes next season. Daryl Hernandez, yeah, I mean, the list goes on and on. So, yeah, it's the young, the youngest of the youngins um, are, are getting us most excited for 2023, which is going to be fun. Creed Willems coming into spring training with a six-pack. Watch out. <laughs> six-pack of what? I don't know. <laughs> Well, we're, uh, we're going to talk about some other Orioles prospects uh, in a little bit. But first, a word from DraftKings, our sponsor. The wait is over. DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is officially live in Maryland. Now you can legally bet on all your favorite sports with DraftKings anytime and anywhere right here in Maryland. For a limited time, new customers who sign up with promo code on the verge will receive $200 in free bets instantly. Why not roll the dice on the Baltimore Orioles in 2023? Use one of your free bets on the Orioles to win the 2023 World Series and turn a $50 free bet into $1,800. DraftKings is the best features, including same-game parlays, unlimited player props, and more of its fast and easy payouts right at your fingertips. DraftKings Sportsbook is where I go for all my sports betting needs. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code on the verge to get $200 in free bets instantly when you place a $5 bet on anything. Only a DraftKings sports app, uh, sports book with code on the verge. Please play responsibly. For help, visit mdgamblinghelp.org or call 1-800-GAMBLER. 21 years older, physically present in Maryland. Eligibility and deposit restrictions apply. Bonus issued as free bets. See DraftKings.com slash MD for full terms and conditions. Last week in the winter meetings in San Diego, the Orioles took part in the Rule 5 draft and it was highlighted by the selection of Andrew Politi from the Boston Red Sox system. Politi spent the 2022 season between AA Portland and AAA Wooster, putting up very good numbers 
along the way. 69 to third innings pitched. He compiled a 2-3-4 ERA with a .97 whip while striking out 83 batters against 22 walks. He will now go into the mix uh, for a bullpen role in spring training. Since he was selected in the major league phase, the Orioles would have to carry him on the 26-man roster for all of 2023 or offer him back to the Red Sox. The Orioles did not have a player chosen out of their organization in the major league draft, major league phase of the draft, while they picked up three prospects in the minor league phase, including Alfred Vega, a right-handed pitcher from the New York Yankees system, Randy Florentino, a catcher from the Texas Rangers organization, and Trey McGough, a left-hander from the Pittsburgh Pirates farm system, who was in AAA Indianapolis last year before suffering an injury and ultimately undergoing Tommy John surgery. Uh, meanwhile, the Orioles had Hector Perez, Jonathan Araruz, and Kobe, Cody Roberts selected out of their farm system in the minor league phase of the draft. Minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft does not have the same roster eligibility requirements. So basically the players that were selected out of the Orioles system are no longer part of the organization, while the players that are joining are permanent members um, for now. So Nick and I had a chance to react to the Rule 5 draft in a bonus episode last week. If you've not had a chance to listen to that, you can check that out. So I'll start with Bob here. Um, what was your reaction in general to the Rule 5 draft? Well, first of all, when you said the Orioles participated and then you had the winter meetings in the same sentence, I was raising my eyebrow, <laughs> but uh, you said the Rule 5 draft, so that makes sense. Um, no, I'm sure we'll get more to that in a little bit. But, uh, I mean, it's not surprising. I mean, maybe the specific name of the player they took is – you know, not someone I would have predicted, but it's not surprising they took a pitcher in the Rule 5 draft. And he seems like a pretty good arm, good strikeout to walk numbers, can go multiple innings. I think that's going to help him be able to potentially stick all year round. Orioles have a good bullpen, though, and it's pretty deep as far as just who they're bringing back. Starting pitchers in the majors and minors who might be shifting to that role. So unless we, and I would almost bet that we do, unless we see like a Another Bo, uh, not Bo Saucer, the other Saucer, Cole Saucer and Tanner Scott trade coming up before spring or during spring, then it's going to be tough. But I think he has a chance to stick. So first, can can uh, we get a prediction? Who are the two relievers that are going to be traded for uh, a few minor leaguers? Is, I, I think I predicted it's going to be Keegan Aiken and Joey Crable shipped together, probably Colorado for like, you know, five of their best 20 prospects. I like that one. Um, I'm kind of, I don't know. I, I've, there's no way Keegan Aikens, the good Keegan Aiken we saw last year is going to like stick around. I feel like after the last couple of years of what we saw from him, but yeah, it can be one. And I still don't know. And I wanted to look into these guys a little bit more, but like someone overperformed the Orioles are looking at these guys and saying, one of these guys, Brian Baker, Siono Perez, Someone who had a big year last year definitely overperformed, and I imagine they're getting shopped. Who is it? I don't know, but we'll see. I'm sure there's going to be a trade with the relievers. There's got to be. Yeah, I think I predicted that Aiken was going to be dealt earlier in the offseason, so I'll probably stick with that. And I think it would be Perez. If you're looking at someone who probably overperformed a little bit that might have some value on the market, I would go with him. Um I'll just throw this out there, going back to the Rule 5 draft with Politi. Do you think right now there would be an opening for him to make the roster if there's not a move out of the bullpen? I'll, I'll go with Nick on that one first. 
I think it would be really, really tough, to be honest. I mean, I, well, that's also considering, you know, my scenario playing out here where Tyler Wells goes back to the bullpen. And as of right now, where the pitching staff stands, I imagine you're probably going to need Tyler Wells in that rotation. So I don't know. I mean, um, you look at some of these guys, can Nick Vespi, can he do enough to force the Orioles to keep him in the major leagues? I think now they have to keep him in the majors or expose him to waivers, right? I think he used up all his options. But, um, yeah, I, I just think it's this bullpen, like we mentioned on our recap show, the bullpen is the strength of this team last year. It was really dominant. There's a lot of really young arms in there. And there's a few other guys like Yanir Cano, Michael Bauman, some of these other younger prospects who have you know, a chance to really perform. So he's going to have to outperform them as well. Tough hill to climb for him to make the roster next year. Yeah, like I said, I think there's a chance he sticks, but I do think it's going to depend on a on a lot of factors, most notably his uh, own performance. But, hey, Nick Vespi is probably going to get that shot if the trades that Nick just predicted come through with the two lefties shipping out. Seattle Perez and Keegan Aiken, Nick Vespi can slide right in there. But uh, I think Pelotti will start uh, – I don't know how to pronounce it, Pelotti. Um, I think he'll start the year in the bullpen at the major league level. I would predict he gets returned before the end of the season, but hopefully he proves me wrong. I feel like right now, if you, there's some redundancy with the bullpen and what I think that this could come down to is the, does Joey Crable's second half make the Orioles believe that that's a guy that's due for regressing. And at that rate, Politi probably does slide into that role pretty nicely where he's going to be able to come into a game in the fifth or sixth inning and give you more than three outs. That's going to be his role. He's not going to go in there and take innings from Dylan Tate or Felix Bautista, or, you know, if the way he pitched over the last month of the season is any indication, Brian Baker. But I do think there's a role for Politi, provided that he looks good in camp, and that maybe the Orioles look at him and Joey Crable and feel like there's a little bit more upside with Politi, and that leaves an opening for him. I am going to turn our attention over to the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft because, as Nick and I predicted last week, we have kind of learned a little bit more about the players that have come over. And one of them in particular that we're intrigued by, I think, is Alfred Alfred Vega, who was selected out of the Yankee system. Now, Vega, except for one start at Tampa in 2021, has yet to pitch above a short season league. He was set back by an injury last year. However, he's just about to turn 22 years old, 139 innings professionally, 139 the third innings professionally since he signed with the Yankees back in 2017. And in 15 and two-thirds frames in the Florida Complex League last year, he was very good. 22 strikeouts against just four walks, a 1.15 ERA, and a 1.97 fit. Um, Baseball America has written up positively about Vegas, so Nick, Looking at what Baseball America had to say about him and kind of our own sort of initial dive into his numbers and his track record, what are your thoughts on Vega? I believe I said in that show that give it another week or so and we're going to read something. We're going to get a quote from somebody that made Alfred Vega like stand out as the prize of the minor league phase of this Rule 5 draft. Uh, and Baseball America did that. They kind of went into more detail about his repertoire, though, what they say here. Da, 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 da. Sweepy slider, two-plane curveball, mid-80s changeup, flat-plane fastball, but it touched 96 miles per hour with ride and run. 
last year. Pairs it primarily with his curveball. And I mean, he was, this wasn't a ranked list Baseball America's article for anyone who isn't subscribed. It was just 10 names from the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft who have high ceilings. But Vega's name was the first one there on that list. So I knew that was going to happen. We were going to get something. Um, I feel like a lot of people are just going to look at that. Oh, he was 21, 22 pitching the FCL. What's he really got? Uh, a lot of injuries. And so this is why, again, why I love the minor league portion of this draft so much, because if you have a good team of scouts and good analysts who can identify these hidden gems, like you can bring in some real upside in the minor league phase. And Vega seems to be that guy in this year's close. Yeah, I was thinking the other day that I've just really grown to love the minor league portion of the Rule 5 draft. And especially, I feel like the Orioles have utilized it in a really key way. And Vega is a guy that I'm excited to watch. I mean, I think we'll get into this more next week, but I have him starting in Delmarva's rotation to begin the year. And he's right up there with the Moises Chasse's and and all those exciting arms as far as who I want to see. And I think he has a chance to really break out. And yeah, he kind of reminds me of like the Ignacio Feliz uh, pick from a couple of years ago or a year ago um, in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft, just in that, you know, maybe a little bit older than you would like at the low level that he was at, but stuff that can really, you know, advance quickly, especially if, I mean, it seems like he's got a starter's repertoire, but if he gets moved to the bullpen, maybe he moves really fast. But yeah, uh, I'm a big fan of Mr. Vega. And like Nick said, I've liked him more and more ever since the pick was made. The more see from him, the video, the the articles or the blurbs, at least. Um, yeah, big fan. Trey McGill um, mentioned earlier he was pitching for AAA Indianapolis last year. He was actually ranked 59th um, in the Pirates farm system by Fangrass. And the Pirates have one of the deepest farm systems in the game. So that does say something. And he looks like he could possibly be an option for the big league pitching staff at some point. Unfortunately, he suffered the injury in May of last year, ended up undergoing Tommy John surgery. One pretty significant update since last week is that we now know that Mago has started throwing. He posted something on his Instagram today, which we shared over Twitter. If we see him at all in 2023, it's probably going to be late in the year. But Nick will kind of rehash what we talked about last week. This is a guy that could make things interesting when he's back on the mound. So I went back and watched a couple of his outings to put together a little highlight video there, just something to do when I should have been working. But uh, it's uh, another story. But um, we drafted Kevin Smith when they took Trey Mago. Like they drafted Kevin Smith's clone. And I'm going to say Kevin Smith um, two years ago, Kevin Smith, not the most recent version of uh, Kevin Smith that we have. But I, they look exactly the same out there on the mound, except Mago, I think, has more fastball velo. Uh, and I think his stuff looked better. But that same, like, Bowie version of Kevin Smith, where he just seemed, like, so smooth and fluid and in control of, like, every at-bat, that's what Mago looked like, except he, he's got this fastball that I think the the radar gun in the outing I saw, it was, like, an early season cold one. So everybody's in rain jackets and big puffy vests, and it's, like, he's throwing 91, 92 still but he's making it look like 99 up and away to righties. I mean, that's that's what the fastball was doing. The changeup, just beautiful. I watched the game in Charlotte. He got your mean Mercedes a couple times uh, with the changeup. Like, yeah, I think, obviously, maybe the Orioles like that profile, and they wanted someone in that org 
that could fill that profile and it's not Kevin Smith anymore, but they've got it in Kevin McGo when he comes back healthy. And like you said, he's back throwing. He's down there in Sarasota throwing right now, which is a good sign. So hopefully we see him sooner rather than later in, in an Orioles uniform, minor league uniform. Yeah, I mean, Pittsburgh Pirates messed up somewhere because they had a ton of guys taken throughout the organization in both phases of the Roll 5 draft. But I feel like this was a really savvy pick by the by the Orioles here. And, you know, you get him at maybe they thought because he's hurt, had Tommy John, that no one would take him while the Orioles did. They can rehab him at their – well, he's throwing now, so they can build him up at their own pace. Maybe he's got a little bit of that Drew Rahm action on his sneaky fastball. But, yeah, let's just get him healthy and just think – this time next year, we're going to be talking about Seth Johnson coming back from injury, Zach Peake, Kyle Bronovich, Trey McGow. Like they reinforce the Calvary's here, the reinforcements are here. There's a saying somewhere along these lines. Wrap up real quick with a note on Randy Florentino, who spent last season at High A Hickory. Offensive numbers 242 average, 331 on base percentage, and 353 slugging percentage, and a walk rate of just under 12%. That's probably the highlight of his stat line. Florentino, as a teenager, had drawn some interest early in his career after a strong season in 2018. However, the offense just has not been there in years since. That said, Florentino at 22 seems to provide some interest in catching depth for the organization, especially with the loss of Cody Roberts. We're probably looking at Florentino slotting in either high A Aberdeen or double A Bowie. Um, and Bob, not to give us give away too much for next week, but you've got your projected rosters together now. Where do you see Florentino fitting in? Yeah, I have him as splitting time in double A with Connor Pavoloni as far as, you know, the, the catching depth there. And yeah, I guess it was essentially turned out to be like a Cody Roberts for Jeff Florentino trade and. I guess, you know, it's it's not like there's much difference one way or the other. Cody Roberts did a great job at the role he was providing. And, you know, Florentino probably has just a little bit more upside. But, yeah, I mean, it's cool. I mean, you need catchers. We saw that last year. You need a lot of catchers to uh, get through a season. And he's one of them, and he's got a chance with this development team in place. You never know. They could unlock some power or something like that. So he's in the – I have him starting in double A. So – He's right there. He's in the battle for Adley Rutschman's backup over the next five to X amount of years. I didn't look any more up about Florentino after we talked. I got nothing else. Welcome to the organization. Hope you hit. You can walk. Hope you get hit. Um, before we move on from this entirely, Bob, any reaction to any of the players that the Orioles have lost in the minor league phase of the Rule 5 draft? No. <laughs> um uh to expound further <laughs> no just because i mean like you guys said jonathan arouse was still a part of the orioles okay sure bye um cody roberts yeah i mean it it's things just because he's been around and and he's had some moments you know think what a walk-off hit is that correct at some point mm -hmm. with Bowie? um and hector perez i mean he was a guy he's like 26 and you know he was an interesting arm um, you know, there was definitely something that the Orioles saw there, but I mean, he's 26 in double A, so it's not like, you know, you lost, uh, Easton Lucas or something like that. So no, I, uh, I really, I'm, I was surprised cause you know, there were some guys available out of the Orioles organization that I thought might've, or should have been taken at some point, but they weren't. So, Hey, we'll keep them here and we'll, 
nothing wrong with that. So we'll move on now and talk about what has had Orioles uh, Twitter in full on meltdown um, for about a week now. And that was, I, I guess you could describe it as the lack of activity after the Kyle Gibson signing combined with some comments that Michael Elias made while we were at the winter meetings. Um, and I'm going to pull up part of what set this off. And just to give some background, Michael Elias last year, after the trade had used the phrase, after the trades, the trade deadline had used the phrase liftoff to describe the Orioles plans going forward. Then last week, uh, he sort of seemed to tamp down expectations that the Orioles were going to make significant investments in free agency this offseason. And I'm quoting here from an article at the Baltimore Sun written by Nathan Ruiz, but this was printed elsewhere as well. Uh, Elias said, quote, this isn't something where we're going to flip a light switch and get to our max capacity again. I think there were years here recently where the team was over its means. And when I came in, we were still kind of feeling that from years prior. But that's in the past now. We're in a good spot, much better spot. And I'm extremely confident that we're going to take the plan to its logical end course, which involves continually increasing the payroll. And it's going to start this year. Now, you read that, and it doesn't mean that the Orioles are finished this offseason, but you can also parse from that. They're probably not going to spend, you know, what the Padres spent for Xander Bogarts or what the Phillies spent for Trey Turner or maybe even what the Cubs spent on Jameson Tayon. Um, Bob, you have summarized the current state of things in it with a good term, so I'll just let you jump in with that and then just kind of give your reaction to where – where the off season might be going from here. You see this? It's my season tickets. <laughs> They're done. Canceled. No. Um, yeah. Every time a pitcher or a player is signed, it seems like, Oh, here we go. Meltdown. Another meltdown. So I call it, this is winter is the global warming with the O capitalized just because a lot of meltdowns going on this winter. And, uh, I just would like to say we talked about this going into the offseason that there are a lot of ways that the Orioles could go to improve their team because we're pretty balanced. There definitely can be improvements pretty much all over the roster, but we're at a decent place where we don't have to sign some big free agent. We do not have to trade for X player. Like There are plenty of different ways this can go. So I think Elias and company are just – letting it play out. I'm sure they have a plan. I doubt they're panicking that their plan is falling to shambles right now. I mean, this is just a guess. I don't know anything, but I'm at least willing to see how the whole entire offseason plays out. There's still two months until spring training starts. So a lot of offseason to go. My thinking is they have some free agent targets they'd like to get. If it doesn't work out, they'll turn to the trade route. And I would be shocked if they did not come away with another mid to up top of the rotation starter before the offseason is over and a left-handed bat that with some thump a backup catcher maybe uh, another infielder like a gene segura adam frazier or something like that yeah if this is what the team looks like coming into spring training they don't make any more moves stuff like that then yeah i can certainly see being frustrated especially just you know this seemed like a way to add to the team to go towards contention but liftoff i mean this is 
essentially his backtrack, quote unquote, is what I thought he meant in the first place. I mean, I maybe he should have said the plane has left the the off ramp and we are moving up now. <laughs> but uh, liftoff sounded better. And yeah, I don't know. I, I understand the frustration. I just wish people would be a little more patient, but it's sports and sports fandom and patience is not part of that usually. <sighs> I don't even know really how to summarize all of this. Um, it's a lot. I, most days I'm sitting up here like wishing Twitter would just combust, um, <laughs> especially after a big pitcher is signing free agency. Like I get it though. I mean, you've got years of bad baseball, terrible baseball, just inactivity in so many areas of the game. So like, I think a lot of reactions are 100% warranted and I 100% understand it, but it's, and it's also just annoying to see a lot of these upgrades go off the board and many for kind of reasonable prices. Although like, I don't know how you guys feel, but looking at some of these, you know, pitchers specifically, I think that's the big thing is pitching. People want this pitching staff, the starting rotation solidified a lot better because there's no like proven veteran outside of Kyle Gibson. It's John means, and he's not going to be back for a half the season at least, but you know, other than like the Chris Bassett signing today, I think was the one that got a lot of people. Um, even some of the people who are much more patient, much more understanding. I think the Chris Bassett is kind of starting to set some of more of those people, maybe even some of us included, over the edge a little bit more. You're like, why couldn't the Orioles do that? But at the same time, like I agree with Bob. It's like it's December 12th right now. There's still a lot of time to make moves. There's still free agents out there. You know, I know he's not Jacob deGrom or Carlos Rodon, who is still out there, but you know Nathan Ovaldi is still out there. That's someone who I liked as an option at the beginning of this offseason. I think there are a few other guys who – actually, outside of Ivaldi and Rodon, like who else really is there that would make this rotation better? I don't really know. That's really helping my point here. But um, like there are still – there's bats. There's plenty of bats to help this lineup. There are there's still pitching available. And when it comes to free agents, maybe I'm naive and don't understand. I'm not in this business, so I don't know. But like I feel like just throwing the most amount of money at a guy isn't going to 100% do the job. Like, yeah, that's the biggest portion of this. You want to set yourself up for life. Uh, but at the same time, like these guys have their own personal goals, their own personal situations. Uh, their own family to consider. I, I, I'm not sitting here at a table with an offer for $150 million in front of me, so I can't say for sure, but I would like to think if I'm in that situation, my family comes first and their needs come first as well. So like, we don't know all the behind the scenes. What are the Orioles offering? These guys, do they even want to come to Baltimore? I don't have a bad thing to say about Baltimore, but do they even want to play in Baltimore? It could just be a personal preference. They don't want to like, we don't know. And I just think a lot of the targeted anger at Elias is kind of unwarranted at this point, because again, we don't know, is he being hamstrung by ownership? Like, is that the bigger issue here? Like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm a Cowboys fan. I got to deal with inept ownership my entire life in sports. So, but, Let's not lose sight of the fact that one week ago we were sitting here on this show celebrating the fact that Kyle Gibson turned down an identical offer from Toronto to sign with yeah. the Orioles. Um, yeah, yeah so like, that, that's like something that takes to time. think about. Yeah, like that's going to take time. I feel like the Orioles are the new kids on the block again here with in terms of like going out in the free agency market. And so we heard Jordan Lyles talk to Gibson, explain what's going on behind the scenes here in Baltimore. He really, you know, spoke up this organization. Uh, he was you know, the guy who went out and vouched for this team. And it landed a guy like Gibson. And I know that's not going to make this team a World Series competitor, but 
more of those conversations are going to take place. And also, like, I feel like some of these free agents, you know, do they want to play for, yeah, the Orioles are fun and exciting. You see all the talent coming up, but are they going to be able to win the World Series next year? Would they want to go to a more proven, steady organization right now? Like, I don't know. You know, another year, more conversations. Baseball is a small world. The word word's going to get out. Maybe next year we start to see, you know, a lot more of these bigger free agent signings, guys wanting to come here. But I just can't find it myself to get as outraged as what we've seen. Yeah, I mean, there are some deals that are out there that I would have matched or exceeded, like the Senga, Cody Senga contract with the Mets. That was that seemed like a pretty good deal. But at the same time, he reportedly wanted to go to a big market team. And could you blame him? to want to go to the Mets over the Orioles right now. And Chris Bassett, yeah, we outbid them for, or not outbid them, but we won Kyle Gibson over them. Well, maybe we had an identical or better offer to Chris Bassett, and he'd rather sign with the the upcoming team that has you know been to the playoffs or been right in contention the past two years rather than the last one. I mean, we don't know, you know the specifics behind the scenes. Maybe we have good offers, maybe we don't, but – you know, until there's someone that signs on a dotted line that this, I just want Carlos Rodon to sign with the Orioles, not even just because he's an awesome pitcher and would start opening day, but just to prove like, all right, they are willing to sign someone for more than a year and for big money, but I don't know. It's frustrating as a person who reads a lot of Twitter, but at the end of the day, um, let's just, let's wait and see what happens. And then, and then we can evaluate from there. Yeah, and I would say, too, that you got to look at this more on a case-by-case basis because I feel like we've sort of gotten into a mode when any pitcher goes off the board, it's a strike against the Orioles. And I'll give a good example. I really was not in the camp that the Orioles signed Son Manaya. I had That was not a pitcher that I was particularly high on. And so when I saw the news this morning that he had signed with the Giants, I kind of thought, okay, we can stop talking about that now because I wasn't that high on him. I was coming around with Jameson Tyon, but I would not have given him the contract that the Cubs gave him because he's had Tommy John surgery twice. And the track record for pitchers that have had Tommy John twice, this isn't great. Um, I would have done Chris Bass's contract. I would have done Andrew Haney's deal with the Rangers. Um, I would have done Cody Senga's deal. So look at it on on a case-by-case basis. And the other thing I would say, too, is that the trade market still has not really picked up this offseason. That's going to come because the free agent market has moved at such an accelerated pace over the last week that teams are now going to have a surplus or teams that maybe have been holding back a little bit on dealing some of their players now are going to start putting them out there because the pitching market has dried up quickly. So if you're the Marlins or the Brewers, who I'm not certain are selling, but seem to exist in kind of a gray area right now at least, if you're a team with pitching depth, looking to make a trade, you're going to be start com- you're going to start coming out in the next week or two. If we're having this discussion in February and Kyle Gibson is the only move the Orioles made and they sign a backup catcher that's basically equivalent to Robinson Torinos, yeah, I'm not going to be happy with that offseason, but I'm also not going to sit here on December 12th and declare the offseason a failure over things that have happened in the last five days. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> and yeah, I just, I don't know. I mean, for, it's weird that we even had expectations that we were going to be big players in free agency and in trades this offseason, but I still think we can. I mean, 
would we be upset if we signed, I don't know, let's see, this guy has a dental office, great screen name, uh, Noah Syndergaard and Brandon Drury. I mean, not my choice, but I mean, there are still moves to be made. I feel like we got Kyle Gibson. That was an upgrade over Jordan Lyles. Now, if and when we get another starter, there are a lot of options as far as the pitchers in the starting rotation for the Baltimore Orioles now, suddenly. So the second pitcher has to be a definite improvement mid to upper rotation starter. So a guy like Syndergaard doesn't really interest me as much now. I would have taken him instead of Gibson potentially, but I want to get either Carlos Rodon, Nathan Eovaldi, or trade for one of these upper tier pitchers at this point. I know everybody wants to trade for Pablo Lopez for like the last two months. I don't know why we fixated on this one particular pitcher from the Marlins, but like you hear a lot of talk about how the Marlins are so pitcher heavy. Going back to Zach's point, let the free agency period play out a little bit more. Let more of these guys get off the board. Some of these guys, I'm even talking about the players that Orioles aren't going to be in on. Let these teams fill out their rosters. And maybe a team like Miami realizes like, oh, crap, we didn't get our bats that we wanted. We need the bats. We're getting closer to spring training. Maybe they get a little little bit more desperate. They've already been conversations with the Orioles. Now they go back to Baltimore and say, all right, we really want you know Austin Hayes or maybe it's Santander, whoever it is. We really want that bet. We did not get it this offseason. Let's make the deal, right? And the Orioles are able to land pitching that way. That could still happen too. Like I just don't – I just don't see – I think a lot more Orioles fans and – or what social media like isn't obviously a, an adequate symbol of the real world, right? So I, I feel like a lot more Orioles fans are going to be a little bit more patient here, but I don't want to be the team that just throws out millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars. And I understand it's not our money. It's some billionaire owner's money. Spend however, give all the money to the players. I'm all for that. But like, I don't want to see this team create a contention window that's only three years long versus 30. Like that's, that's what this organization is setting up for. That's what we've been hyping up for the last three years. And we're seeing it start to play out for real. I'm going to give it another year before I get super disgusted. But yeah, I agree with Zach. If it's Kyle Gibson and some Robert Trinos 2.0, yeah, then we can have conversations. And when we talk about the major league side of things, the tone will be a little bit different, but on December 12th, I'm good. I got good beer. Birthday's coming up. Christmas coming up. Let's. I'm outside. I'm smelling the roses. I'm having a good time right now. And next off season, Blake Snell, Aaron Nola. There's good pitchers out there available next year as well. And I did love the comment that Elias made in an interview where, you know, when you sign a long deal with a starting pitcher or a pitcher, the best value of that deal is going to be the first year. So, you know, if you Maybe they just think it's more prudent to wait till next year to sign Aaron Nola after we've, you know, made some more progress and they really want to cash in. I mean, I'll take Carlos Rodon right now, but it's not my money and I don't care how much they spend on him, but maybe just the team thinks, okay, here's what we'll do for now. I'm sure the one thing we know about this front office is they have a plan like, and it's flexible. So I don't know. I mean, I'd love for them to be more, forthcoming in interviews and stuff to really just let us know what's going on, what their plan is and what they're doing to make it happen. But they're, they're doing something and the off season is far from ever. We've heard multiple times 
that Elias said, we're going to add people. Um, Eve Rosenbaum has said, you know, we're going to like have just come out and said things we're going to get done. We're going to make some moves. So just let's wait and see. Yeah, exactly. And we, we still got a little bit of a uh, good ways to go in the off season here, just the middle of December. Um, I think the next month or so is going to be pretty big and interesting to follow to see what the Orioles do. Next week, we're going to have our focus on the minor leagues with roster projections and, that's going to be a fun show. So, Bob, you've been putting these projections together. You do this every offseason over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Um, just give us a hint of what we can expect next week. A lot of fun. Getting excited for the 2023 minor league season. Just even putting this article together, I'm like, oh, man, I can't wait to watch Norfolk. Oh, man, I can't wait to watch Bowie. Oh, man, I can't wait to watch uh, Emerson Frederick Aberdeen. Oh, geez, Delmarva is off the chain we're going to get to see Jackson holiday on a everyday basis. So, yeah, I mean, I think it'll just be fun to go through and be like, Oh, we're worrying about what the Orioles are doing this off season, but we forgot. We still have the best farm system in baseball and every single team up and down the organization is going to be a hell of a lot of fun to watch day in and day out on minor league TV. And before we wrap up tonight, a quick shout out to friend of the show, Andy Koska. Congrats on his new gig over at the Baltimore Banner. He will be the Orioles beat writer there. Uh, the Banner has got a good thing going overall, and it just got even better with the addition of Andy Koska. So congratulations to him. And the good news is Baltimore Sun still has Nathan Ruiz. So we got an abundance of riches right now with uh, beat writers in Baltimore. So congrats to Andy. Uh, we have covers up at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. I have a recap of last week's Rule 5 draft. Bob's roster projections are up now if you want to take a look at them before next week's show. Uh, But we'll get into full discussion about that next week. And while you're over at BSL, hop on the message board and join in discussion with fellow readers of the site as well as contributors for all things Orioles, Ravens, college sports, and more. And follow us on Twitter at BSL on the Birds for updates throughout the week. For Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens, thank you to our guest, Kobe Mayo, for appearing tonight. This is Zach Sweden you've been listening to on The Birds. That'll do it for this week's episode of On The Verge. Be sure to check out our Patreon page where you can help show your support for the show and get bonus content, including monthly top 50 updates to our prospect list and daily game recaps during the season and much, much more. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.